0: Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with pianist, multi-instrumentalist, composer, arranger, and a producer, Miles Black, very talented cat, named after the master Miles Davis. He was born in Port Alberni, British Columbia, and learned both jazz and classical music early on with great teaching. He was performing professionally by the age of 14 and has gone on to be with the best in the business, with cats like Lee Konitz, Slide Hampton, George Coleman, Scott Hamilton, Sheila Jordan, Chuck Israels, and on and on. He's performed with the Oliver Gannon Quartet for quite some time, and he is also an educator. So get to know Miles and dig this interview, my friends.
1: We are golden. Miles, thank you for taking some time out for me today. I appreciate it. My pleasure. And I just got to tell you up front, there's probably about five or six words that I use on a regular basis in my life, and I think Miles is number two. My son's name is Miles, so I say it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Were you named after Miles Davis?
2: I was, yeah. Okay. Either or not, I was, yeah.
1: Yeah, interestingly enough, that was my angle. I didn't really go into it thinking it was going to be it, but it just made sense. So he's, uh, he's another Miles Davis clone, too, so... Again, thank you, and what I want to do is i want to start out here. I know that you're pretty good about explaining what's going on with the activity. I've gone over your website, but I want, in
2: your own words, what is going on with you lately? You know, like most musicians, I've a pretty varied career, a little bit of teaching, some clinic, lots of performing, and lots of arranging. I'm sitting here right now writing string quartet arrangements, which is a lot of fun, and some horn parts for people's albums. I've got a recording studio. I've got my jazzcut.com business, so I've been We just launched that. I'm working hard on getting that out there in the world. And uh, lots of jazz gigs. So you're keeping it varied and going. That was the
1: flavor that I really felt like. So as I peel back the onion layers here, I'm going to start at the alpha, the core, the seed, and ask you, you were born in Port Alberni, British Columbia. How did you get to a point where you're doing what you're doing today? What gave you the music
2: and jazz bug early on in your life? Well, it had to be my... My parents, my mom's an artist and my dad was a guitar player and a poet and so we had a very uh, house that was infused with well, a lot of hippies playing music all the time. My dad always had a great sound system and he always played wonderful you know, jazz and, and uh, great rock and blues albums, lots of blues. So I think my brother and I both got into music at a young age so we could jam with my dad and his friends. You know, he had a lot of instruments around the house and we played a lot of blues every weekend when we were little kids. And then uh, it just kind of kept going from there, basically. It was a nice foundation.
1: So what albums were you listening to jazz-wise that really got you going?
2: When I was 13, my dad's friend Art gave me seven old vinyl records. uh, And they were a real mix, Joe. We had Kind of Blue. You know, that was sort of your classic album to have. And that really turned my crank as a young kid. I mean, I, I just turned my head around. But I also had a bunch of albums by Roland Kirk that he gave me. Uh, volunteer Slavery and We Three Kings and things like that. And then uh, on top of that, there was uh, Time Out, Dave Brubeck. I think there was Modern Jazz Quartet in there, and then of some really far out John Coltrane albums, you know, like Expressions, Meditations, that kind of stuff. And so as a young guy listening to jazz, I thought, I, I just assumed that was all under the big umbrella called jazz. So I, I got into a lot of types of jazz at a young age, so a lot of free jazz type things, and then uh, mixed with the blues and. and I got really into Ray Bryant, Tommy Flanagan, Bill Evans, and uh, Keith Jarrett when I was a kid. And I had a great teacher, Joe, man. I had a a wonderful teacher named George Essiehaus, so I was really lucky because he was really into exploring the piano to its fullest extent and creating the most beautiful sound you could get out of the instrument. And he was really into exploration in jazz, so he didn't me in any boxes. Right up, like my very first lesson, we just jammed on a chromatic scale for half an hour, and that was the real eye opener.
1: You touched on George, and then you know you were playing professionally at fourteen. At eighteen, you worked as a music therapist. It just seems like your life, your constellation map, was music. Is that safe to say that's what you wanted your life to be?
2: Yeah. That's definitely true, I, although before that I was planning on being a visual artist. My, my mom's a visual artist, and there's a lot of those in my family, and I thought, well, that would, would have been a nice career path for me, but, uh, you know, music took over pretty young. I was 13, I was convinced I'd be a professional. And here I am, man, 37 years later.
1: <laughs> yeah, you're talking about, you know, Tommy Flanagan and all these guys. Dream realized, you play with Lee Konitz, Clyde Hampton, George Coleman, Max Riff, I mean, Chuck Israels. Lou to back, and you've got, you know, Ingram Jensen out there in Canada. I mean, you've got all these people that you've played with. What, what has it been like when you sit back, you're doing this for a long time? How does it feel, how does your career feel right now, and all of this mileage that you've
2: gained? That's the funny thing. I think about that often because, you know, I've been doing this for 37 years, and I think, well, I still feel like a beginner. It st- feels so fresh and new, and, and I'm still playing a lot of the same tunes I played when I was a kid. I'm still finding lots of new ways. Jazz musician, man, I mean, because you get to always play with new people. You get to play the same music sometimes, but reinterpret it in a completely different way. Uh, that's the thing about jazz that I've always loved—the spontaneity, the creativity, the playing with other people, especially. I love that.
1: Well, and one of those sojourns—I'm going to get into a couple of them here—is Oliver Gannon, and I've interviewed him. He's a very cool cat. You've played
2: with him since '93. What's it like to play with him? <laughs> Oh, man. Ollie and I go way back. And, and yeah, I love playing with Ollie. He knows so much about music. And, you know, because he studied all you know, classical orchestration and everything like that. So, you know, there's just such a depth to his, his musicality. And he's been getting pretty good on the piano lately. So sometimes I play other instruments with him. And we have a lot of fun doing that and just changing the shoes around. Um, he's oh, He's a blast. Ollie's the greatest. And like I say, he knows a lot, way too much about music.
1: (laughs) Well, and the one thing, too, is you mentioned up top of the hour when you talk about what you're doing, you're a composer and a writer. Um, You've worked with Glenda Ray, written 400 song credits, many more, I'm sure. What is it like to kind of toggle that whole writing, composing, with playing and teaching and all that?
2: Well, every day is different. Uh, You know, even teaching, you, you never have a homogenized approach or every student requires a different methodology or, or sensitivity towards their needs. And all the gigs are like that, too. You, every venue is different. So there's no cookie-cutter approach to any of it. So I just try to stay very loose in the moment, not have any, too many preconceptions about anything. I think that really helps.
1: Who are your jazz heroes? I mean, you mentioned some big albums, but if you could really boil it down to, like, who's been really influential in the way you've played, who would it be? Well, I, I really,
2: really appreciate Duke Ellington a lot for his really fresh take and Billy Strayhorn too For their, they have just a really fresh look at putting music together I, I don't know if it's because Duke had synesthesia and he was able to see color in music and I've, I've always had an, a real color association with music too so I think to him and definitely there's some other folks some more modern musicians like Bethany and Lyle Mays have always really uh, turned me on musically and then of course there's Bill Evans had a ma- major impact and continues to do so and Jim Hall, because I'm a guitar player, so I, I'm very uh, into Jim Hall.
1: You know, the one thing you mentioned, you, you know, very early on, even before I get to this question, is you talked about how much you appreciate being a jazz musician and love it, and obviously you dedicate your life to it, but let me ask you straight up, why do you love jazz?
2: I love it so much because it's fresh. It's, every time I sit down at the piano or the guitar or the sax or whatever I'm playing the bass, it just feels new. It always feels new, and it feels like a new challenge, a new day, uh, never ever get tired of rediscovering these beautiful songs that I've been playing for years or learning new material. So it offers me fresh opportunities to meet new people, to travel around the world, to, you know, to reinvent my life every single day. I have to say that's a big reason why I wanted to start up the, the, the website, too, is just to kind of share that with people maybe who don't have that opportunity to do that all the time to get out there and just start improvising, even if it's only on one chord or on two chords. What
1: does travel do for you? You know, that's the great thing about being a musician. I always kind of envious of because, you know, I, I don't travel as much as a musician, but when I hear all these places and stories, what does that do to add to you, not only as a musician composing and writing and creating things for people to enjoy art, but just as a human
2: being, how does it make you grow? Well, I think, like, as most people would say when they travel, uh, it. it it makes you look at the world in a very different way. Sometimes it makes you really appreciate what what you have in the place that you live. And then other times it just, you gain such a fresh perspective on the world that we live in and what other people are going through and how they relate to music and what music means to them. And I remember playing in the Soviet Union and people were so moved. I mean, they, after a concert they'd lived, 6,000 people would run up to the front of the stage and throw flowers at you and they were just crying and you go to places in the world. I, I even did a gig once up near the North Pole. <laughs> only music seems to be able to take me to all the places I've gone to. I can't imagine <laughs> another career path that would offer that sort of perspective. Yeah,
1: that's cool. Let me ask you this: speaking of fans throwing roses and unique situations, what's one of the nicest things a fan has said to you about your music? That's
2: an interesting question. I think you know sometimes people say that I'm able to uh, engage them in a storytelling way with my music. It's not, you know, I've never, never been much about flash, I'm kind of trying to find a way to play slower all the time. So some people have commented on, you know, my ability to delve deep into more of the dynamic nature of the music or the or the emotional nature of the music than just twinkling my fingers as fast as possible.
1: That's cool. I always hear that that's a big deal with the musician, with the fan, that, you know, the person that's not the engineer or musician can recognize those things. That has to feel really good. You you know, the one thing that – and this is my final question for you that I I really want to kind of get into is everyone has a version of who you are, your family, your friends, your business associates. But when you wake up in the morning and you go out, you face the world, who are you? Who do you think you are?
2: (laughs) Well, you know what? Ultimately, I'm not a musician. I'm a human being, a member of the the species here. I'm I'm sharing this planet with all the animals and plants, people, and so I don't define myself by my music. If I wasn't doing music – I would find some other way to help out to share who I am with, with the planet and hopefully leave it, leave it a little bit of a better place. So that's what I think of. You know, obviously, the first thing I get in the morning is I'm walking my dog. So, number one, I'm Miles the dog walker, so, you know, hmm. happy with my dog. <laughs> other times, okay. I'm going to be a grandfather soon, so soon I'll be Miles the grandfather, you know, a husband to my uh, my wife and, and all that sort of stuff.
1: Yeah, very cool. Well, Miles, man, hey, thank you not only for your time, but for your music. I'm, I'm really looking forward to introducing you to the audience, not only here in Kansas City, but all around. So I appreciate Thanks. you giving me some time. Thanks, Joe.
0: Thanks for listening and tuning in to yet another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players in New York, Kansas City, and spots all over the world giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to Miles for his time, his music, and all those stories. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Demino on the iTunes Store, or visit YouTube and type in Neon Jazz. And for all things Neon Jazz, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the music, my friends. Neon Jazz.